0: Hello everyone, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and here's my coda to last week's episode uh, on audience and our thoughts about it. I mean, I guess you, really. The reason why I um, came up with the idea of sort of discussing our audience is because I think a lot about the choices people have today in terms of what they listen to, what they watch, what they read, and so forth. I feel like we are living in a really wonderful age, the digital age where you can choose from a variety, maybe even hundreds or thousands of podcasts, again, movies, of course, music, and, and I was sort of curious about the kind of audience that American Age has. Were there people that were friends of Travis's that were aware of his work in another arena? Did they follow him to follow him to American Age? Similarly with Seth, who is an editor and hyperallergic and art critic at large. I'm curious. And then also I thought about my own audience over the years and how I kind of came to digital life. And so part of what brought me to this conversation again was thinking about my first interactions with personal computers, which was in 1990 at the University of Toledo. I was a sophomore and I remember them setting up a computer lab. And these are these little really small Macintoshes with the really small screens. smaller than um, an actual pad right now and how excited I was and I was just typing up and and then waiting for the printer which was the dot matrix to this is you could hear it across the room waiting for images um, excuse me well images in some cases but also obviously mostly text coming out. so I was writing poems and I was writing really um, interesting essays about my love life and I think so that was in 1990. 1990 I think my first interaction with email was in 1995 and I was a children's librarian at my branch library and I remember one of my supervisors telling me not to use all caps because it sounded as if I was yelling at someone you live you learn and over the years when it comes to my digital life I the year a year later in grad school I created a website for myself stevengforward.org I believe at the time and it was just basically a bio, some of the things I was reading, so forth. And so um, over the years, I've had three different versions of my website, Stephen T. which is no longer um, available, as well as my independent publishing company, Vintage Entity Press from 2002 to 2015. And around that time, there was Black Planet as a social media. Platform, obviously there was AOL Online, other kinds of chat rooms and so forth, as well as dating sites such as Adam for Adam and Men for Now and so forth. Dating sites might be a bit, I don't know, generous. Um, and so, I think about the people who were kind enough to either purchase books from me for my for my um, publishing company or read my work on Black Planet. There was one essay I remember writing called I Was a Teenage Sissy, of which I still have the responses to today because it was well received and people were like, oh, I can really identify with what you're saying. Um, parents got in touch with me, or rather wrote me and, and asked me you know, for advice about how to talk to their kids who were queer. It was a really wonderful time, this was around 2001, 2002, and so I remember feeling I don't know I was I took to digital age like a lot of people pretty easily it was it was there and I think about being a person who often gives talks and workshops more specifically around archives and sometimes um, literature in terms of giving talks that as a kid, I was so hyper antisocial. <laughs> I was very insecure, I grew up poor in the Midwest, my head was so full of what I thought everyone was thinking about me and none of it was any good that I retreated deeply into myself. And I'm really happy that I wrote it down and I kept it because it kept me, It keeps me clear about my road to this place right now. Um, answering the question for myself, what kind of audience would I want for American age, and some of this we talked about on the on the podcast, people who might find our conversations interesting, people who have similar interests or maybe don't have the similar interests, but maybe stumble upon the podcast and hear something about, you know, Barry Weiss's um, book on anti-Semitism or or anything that we've talked about before and find something useful in it. And I'll I'll, I'll confess this, I want a large audience without being responsible for it, and this is what I mean by that. I don't want a large audience because I don't want to be beholden to, and this is sort of strange because we do the podcast every week and the opposite week's codas, Um, I don't want to be responsible for having to produce something over and over again because when I get tired of it, I just want to stop doing it. And. I did mention this last week as well, I've said this three times, I approach American Age like a classroom. I prep for it, I think about um, Travis's approach and Seth's approach long after our podcast has gone up. Um, the conversations often stay with me, sometimes they change my mind, sometimes they um, further cement something that I have been considering for a while. and. I'll say this, I do like having this shared platform with these two thinkers. Um, Seth has definitely inspired me to read more theory, more philosophy. And I love the way that Seth um, thinks about art and approaches art. And so that excites me as well. Both of these men are my friends. And so it's great to have a conversation that other people are privy to, you know, in this way. And then also the weight of responsibility of having something today is something to say is really important to me. So I try to weigh my words carefully. And I appreciate the listener, you listening to us, um, because you don't have to. No one has to listen to anyone. Again, as I mentioned in my sort of early on that there's so many choices people can make. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a stewardess or an airline um, airline attendant. You have many choices for flying. I'm glad you chose us, but I am glad that you chose us. I am happy um, and I'm hoping that we are doing something here that you will find something you will find something useful in it and that's all I have to say about that. I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care.
1: Hello, this is Steph Rodney. It's Sunday, February 6th, and this is my note on the American Age podcast. Our last conversation we talked about the people who listen to us, uh, the listeners who we imagine do, and the ones who've actually reached out and told us that they do, and communicated with us in some way. And I was reminded today, thinking about a tweet I'd read. I want to say it was uh, sometime in the past year or two. It it said something like, throughout your professional life, there will be people who absolutely despise you, and you may never know why. And I s- that sat with me for a long time because I, I think that there are people out there who very 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 much despise me, um, despise my, despite my, uh, despise I should say my political outlook or uh, my sense of what criticism is supposed to be and do, whatever else. Uh, but then I thought after the conversation with Travis and Stephen, that there are people out there, too, who will enjoy my presence, will uh, value what I have to say, and what we three create together in our conversations. And I may never know them either. So there are other people, there are people on the other side of the scale who right now, maybe wishing me well, maybe sending me love, maybe encouraging me silently to keep going. And I wish I could say that I felt that, I, but I don't really in any sort of metaphysical way. I don't have the kind of, I don't think I have that kind of spiritual antenna. But I appreciate the thought. It makes me feel... uh encouraged already. And I could very much use that now. Uh, It's hard for me during the winter. It's cold and it's dark for much of the day. But there are people listening sometimes. And sometimes they let me know that they're there. And that's something to look forward to. Until next time.
2: Hi, this is uh, Sue Travis Webb, and this is my note for uh, on last week's podcast. Uh, you, you know, last week we talked a little bit about the podcast itself and, you know, sort of the things that I or we have done or not done to promote the podcast. And, uh, you know, part of it is and I don't think this makes, certainly doesn't make me special. I think this is probably true of most people. Um, I don't really like, uh, talking about myself. I certainly like talking, <laughs> especially, you know, if you get me going on a subject and there are any number of subjects you can get me going on. Um, I certainly enjoy, uh, having my say of whatever, you know, fill in the blank is. Um, but, just talking about me, uh, you know, Travis and how I approach things or what I do or promoting things that I've done. Um, it's just not something I'm super comfortable with. And like I said before, I think that's most people, honestly, I think, you know, uh, it's not natural for most people to self-promote Um, though there are people that are quite comfortable doing it. Um, and it's indispensable in certain industries. Um, and you know, this is for us, this is, uh, a, um, this is a, a hobby but a hobby hobby in the sense of being an amateur meaning that we do it for love it's something we do out of of interest um it doesn't bring in any money um you know we're not selling any products N- not that I think there's anything wrong with that um in fact you know if i could wave a wand and suddenly make the podcast so popular that we were able to um you know somehow pay ourselves a salary or do any of this kind of stuff that would be something i'd be very interested in doing uh but there are no uh, there are no marketing wands um, I guess unless you are born into a certain kind of wealth. Um but there was a moment in the podcast, it was towards the end, and Stephen was talking about and we had kind of touched on the COVID stuff, and this has been a source of tension uh, between Seth and I in particular and and Stephen earlier on. Um and um those Seth and you know I've been Seth and I have been close friends, best friends for decades and will remain so and you know covid certainly not going to do anything to that but there was a moment when you know steven was talking about you know who's going to be the one to jump in and stop the stoning and you know we we are on a skype call with one another so we can see each other on the podcast and you know the conversation went a different direction and so i'm going to i'm going to do something that i am not um, inclined to do. And I'm going to talk about myself and I'm going to say that I would be the one to jump in and stop the stoning. I am. And I have, um, uh, more than once in my adult life, uh, been involved in situations, uh, not stoning, but, um, uh, you know, when I was in my early, early twenties, uh, I was in a pizza bar in San Dimas, uh, honestly one of the guys that was there was Chris who had headed to the podcast and um one of the guys we were with we were with was a loudmouth um and was being a dick and probably deserved to get his ass kicked but had started a fight with a big group of guys you know I don't you know it's a long time ago you know, coming up on 30 years but it had to be half a dozen maybe eight or nine and he was drunk and it went moved outside and these guys were going to beat the hell out of him. And I got in the middle of it in the middle of all these guys. um, And, you know, kept that from happening. Uh, I didn't think about it. I didn't think, um, you know, I'm going to be brave here. I'm going to be courageous here. I just thought what I was seeing was wrong. It was, you know, regardless of what, um, how big an ass the guy was being, he didn't deserve to have the hell beat out of him by all those guys. A few years later, I was, uh, in Van Nuys, California near magic mountain and we were in a Carl's jr. And I was with a bunch of people, uh, from my dorm, when I, my, my, uh, my first year at UCI and, um, uh, very crowded restaurant. I think it was before it was towards the end of the day. And we had stopped into Carl's Jr. And uh, this kid was in line and a bunch of other kids stormed into the restaurant and grabbed him Um, and, you know, started hitting him and he fell to the ground. I mean, these kids must have been, you know, maybe 16, 20, something like that, early 20s. And the manager in the Carl's Jr., and so, I mean, we're talking a hundred people in the restaurant yelled, um, you know, take it outside and no one in the restaurant did a damn thing. And so I stood up and I got in the middle of them and, and they about half a dozen guys. And these were people who meant business, um, and, you know, backed them down and got that kid out of that situation. I don't tell that story often. Um, I don't tell those stories often. There have been other closer calls, but those are probably the most dramatic. Um, I jumped into those situations because it was the right thing to do um, and because what I saw in front of my eyes was unfair and what I saw in front of my eyes was wrong. And it's a long preface to say that what's happening right now is wrong. It is wrong to treat unvaccinated people this way. It is wrong to segregate citizens in this way. It is wrong to shame people in the way that they are being shamed. It is wrong to blame people for getting COVID. It is wrong to shame people for having a different priority in life around the health of their body. It is wrong to blame people who are skeptical of wanting to take vaccination to prevent themselves from getting, or I mean, it doesn't prevent, um, to reduce their chances of severe illness. It's wrong. It's wrong to have vaccine passports. Um, It's wrong to have vaccine mandates in this way. It's wrong to mask kids in schools. Um, All of these things are wrong. It's as wrong as eight guys jump in a 16-year-old kid in a Carl's Jr. restaurant. And I'm not going to stop saying that. It's wrong. Um, I try not to judge people for being on the wrong side of it. Um, For the most part, I succeed. I understand we have different registers when it comes to our anxiety around disease, and we have different moral registers when it comes to what we identify as social responsibility. But I'm not going to stop saying it. Uh, and I'm not going to forget the fluidity of principles amongst our elected leaders around bodily autonomy. Uh, and I'm not talking, I'm, there's nothing pointed about this. I'm not talking about interpersonal relationships. I'm talking about people in charge uh, politicians, bureaucrats, uh, public health officials, scientists, doctors. It's wrong for you to do this. It's wrong it's wrong. It's wrong. History is going to bear that out. um, And probably sooner rather than later. Uh, And so, as I mentioned in the podcast, for me, my feeling about why, how I think about the podcast, not why, why is the wrong answer. How I think about the podcast is different. If COVID went away tomorrow, I would still want to talk to Steven and Seth about whatever, I mean, anything. I enjoy talking to them. They're my good friends. I've known Seth forever. Stephen is a newer friendship, but I, um, I respect him and, uh, I feel a great deal of affection for his, um, his authenticity, um, and his humor. Uh, and I would be happy to talk to them about anything. Um, but the pandemic and the institutional response to it has changed, um, my relationship to what I feel uh, like I'm doing uh, in the podcast. Um, and if you disagree with, you know, how I feel about the, the vaccine stuff, uh, I still appreciate uh, you listening uh, and would very happily have a cordial discussion with you about it. Would not uh, want to shame anyone um, for uh, how they feel about um, all of this madness. Uh, But I do think uh, it's wrong. Uh, I said that a lot. But uh, anyway, that's my note for this past week. I appreciate uh, uh, your ears and your time and your brain. And uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks very much.